Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. My name is Chris Causey, and I'm so glad that you are here today. Um, if you've been in a conversation with me in the last few weeks, um, or if you've bumped into me in public, and we've had nothing to talk about, you've noticed I've had this obsession. It's been driving my wife insane. Um, it's weird. I have weird obsessions. I am a nerd, so I tend to like find an idea, and then I'm just like, that is the most amazing thing ever. I want to know everything about it. And, um, and so one of those things happened a, a few weeks ago, almost a month ago, when the European Space Agency released a photo. Um, this is, I know some of you are already on the edge of your seat, right? I, I was. I mean, I had trouble sleeping that night because I happened to see this photo while laying in the bed. And it was this picture here. Um, this is the largest composite photo of the sun that has ever been taken. It is an 83 megapixel camera. I mean, this thing is 83 million pixels. And I literally laid in bed amazed at the beauty and the wonder of this star, like large sun and was zooming in because the more you zoom in, like you can't exhaust the zoom. It was so massive. And the more you zoomed in, the like the tighter the filaments and the figments and these like kind of crazy looking solar storms started to come up. And as I kept zooming, the thing that ultimately grabbed my attention, though, wasn't how far and how close I could get to the sun. It was something that the European Space Agency had put in the photo that was a little bit surprising. It was this. Tucked over into the side of the photo was Earth at scale to the sun. And that's one of those little filaments creeping up. About a million planet Earths can fit inside the sun. And I sat there, and you can see the sun right over there, little tiny dot. And I'm like, Jenny, you have got to see this photo. The next morning, my daughter wakes up, and I'm like, you have got to see this photo. Look, zoom, zoom, zoom. There we are. How amazing is that? It was incredible. In fact, um, I, you wouldn't steal my phone, but if you happen to steal my phone, the way you know you stole my phone is that this is the background on my phone now. It's replaced my family. I mean, literally, they got demoted. It's like, yes, I still have a family, but it, this is so much cooler than the picture that we took on a vacation. I mean, there's planet Earth, and there's the sun. Hello, right? And in some ways, my journey over the last month or so, replacing my family and kicking them out for the sun, has in some ways kind of hopefully mirrored what we'll experience this morning around Easter. Because part of what mesmerized me about this thing is I see this every single day. I live on that every single day. People who know me will tell you my brain is on that half of the time. Right? I mean... This is where we are, and this is what we know, and this is what we see. And yet, something about this photo kind of reframed it. And something that we're so familiar with took on a whole different perspective. And that's kind of what I hope happens this morning in our time together around Easter. Um, only maybe one or two of you in the room are fresh into Easter. You've done it once or twice because I've seen a couple small children in the room. Most of us have had a few Easter's underneath our belt. We've done this before. And no doubt, I could probably pluck someone at random in this room, which I will not, and ask you to come on stage. And you could, for the most part, tell the Easter story. And yet, I think the challenge with Easter is that we can fall into the same trap 
that I fell into with the sun that completely kind of grabbed me. I've gotten used to it, and I missed how truly incredible it actually was. So I want to bounce around um, the Easter story, but specifically um, a part of the story that most of us don't spend a lot of time reading on the day of Easter. And actually what I really want to do is take you back to before Easter was a story, when Easter was just a Sunday, a really devastating Sunday, a Sunday where life was heavy and confusing and chaotic, where life didn't make sense and where there was so much uncertainty and it felt like the world had just ended. Maybe some of you can relate to that. And it says that in Luke 24, 13 through 14, it says, now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. So what's happened, just for you all to be on the same page with these guys, because remember, before Easter was a story, it was an event, and it was a life that people were living. And so these two are a part of a bigger group of people who were followers of Jesus. Now, about 48 hours before, Jesus had already been arrested. He's taken through a series of mock trials and he's prosecuted and persecuted as a criminal. They hung him on a cross, which is an incredibly brutal way to punish someone because it's physically devastating without, um, without killing the person really quickly. It's a way of exacting maximum amounts of pain and suffering without taking their life initially. And all of Jesus' followers are watching what they believed, what they had hoped for, completely crumble and fall apart. Now, Jesus dies around 3 p.m. that Friday afternoon. And because he's a criminal, because he's been prosecuted as a criminal, he doesn't deserve a, a traditional burial. He doesn't deserve, according to the law, he, doesn't, he hasn't earned a proper burial. So his body's hanging on the cross dead. And his movement is dead. And there are two guys one named Joseph of Arimathea and one named Nicodemus, who, you, if you've spent time reading the book of John, you may have heard of him from John chapter 3. And Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea had begun to follow Jesus, but they'd done it a little secretively. They were afraid of what their co-workers may think. They were afraid of what others who knew them because these were prominent, wealthy, influential. They were the Ivy League graduated, the movers, the shakers, the ones who had power in their culture. They were celebrities, and they didn't want people to know that they had bought into the Jesus thing, but simultaneously, they were heartbroken, and they couldn't stand. It wasn't okay that Jesus was just going to die on the cross and lay there and be thrown into the rubbish the way criminals were. So they go to Pilate, because they have influence, they can get in front of him, and they ask Pilate for the body. They take the body quickly because the sun is getting close to setting. So his body hangs on the cross for a couple hours, dead. Not exactly what you imagine when you think of the Easter story. Jesus' body's just stuck there. While two men are trying to negotiate the release of his body in a way that's a little different than what would have typically been done for a criminal. Pilate okays that. And they remove his body. And they take along with his body... 75 pounds of spices, aloe, and linens. Because they're absolutely convinced, they're absolutely convinced Jesus deserves an honorable burial, burial, even if he got a dishonorable death and crucifixion. So they prepare his body, 
And because the sun is setting, because Jewish law is very explicit about the Sabbath, they're trying to get as much done as quickly as possible. So that Joseph gives Jesus his tomb, one that had been freshly cut. And to put money on it today, if you were to go buy that today, you couldn't buy the tomb because that's pretty expensive and priceless. But if you were purchasing that real estate along with all the aloes, the spices, and the linens, you're talking about a six-figure investment. Just to buy those spices today and the content and the weight that they purchased them in would cost you about $150,000. These men were incredibly wealthy and powerful, and they're giving all of their best to Jesus in his resting place. And then they leave. Why? Because Sabbath is hit. They can no longer do the work. And they go home, and from sunset of Friday night all the way to sunset of Saturday, they do nothing but wait. And while they're waiting, while they're sitting they know that the religious leaders who prosecuted Jesus, who caused him to be killed, are probably scheming. They've cut off the head. Now they're going to come for the rest of him. So they're terrified. They're completely shocked. Their world has been turned upside down. They've lost their teacher, their best friend. They've lost Jesus. Everything is lost. The sun rises on Sunday morning, roughly around 6 a.m. this time of year in Israel. And this is where we find these two men. They're trying to get out of town because the travel ban has finally been lifted. You can't travel on Sabbath. And now they're trying to get out of town before the religious leaders get them. They're fleeing. They're headed to Emmaus, which is about seven miles from Jerusalem. And while they're on their way, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And then, we know this, but they don't. Jesus walks up to them. They don't recognize him in his new form. And because dead people are dead, right? And he says to them, what are you discussing as you walk along? This would not have been an uncommon thing. Um, this was right after... Um, Passover, you would have pilgrims traveling because of safety in crowds. A lot of times pilgrims would join up, and it wasn't uncommon for someone to join your group while you're walking and join in conversation because everywhere you go, you're walking, and so it just helps to pass time faster. And so they walk up, and they said, what are you talking about as you walk along? Jesus is saying that, and they stood still, their faces downcast. It's like, this is Easter morning, by the way. It's one of those funny things when people are like, oh, it's Sunday morning, Easter's risen. That exactly wasn't not like it was that day. Um, as we'll see, right? These guys are like, Easter morning? They're downcast. They're, they're still living with the weight. They're still living in the fallout of Friday. They haven't gotten past Friday yet. And it says, one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and you do not know the things that have happened there in these things? He's like, what is wrong with you? Do you not know what's happened? Like, this was such a big deal. And Jesus responds, what things? And he says, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hope that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all of this took place. Now, 
it is the third day since all this took place is not an allusion to Easter. It's an allusion that he's dead. Like he's done. Like it's been three days. We all know what happens. The Jewish people did not embalm. The reason they put spices and aloes on their body and wrapped them in linens is because in the hot kind of Mediterranean sun and the climate, the, the human body breaks down really, really fast and it starts to stink. And they knew at three days in, his body was a rotting corpse. No resuscitation, no comeback, no ICU coma wakes up like some episode of Grey's Anatomy, right? Like, this is it. It's over. And the phrase, we had hoped. They're like, we had hoped. We don't have it anymore. It's over. That's why we're getting out of town, because we were, we were connected with him. And so we know that it's not safe anymore. And that, that is how Easter story begins for some of Jesus' followers. Yes, there is another part of the story where the women rush to the grave and they discover the grave is empty. But they don't assume he's risen from the dead. They assume somebody stole the body. That's the most logical conclusion. And two of his disciples run to the tomb and they also find that it's empty. And again, they assume someone's taken the body. That's what was starting to circulate that morning because of the Roman soldiers that were talking about it. Because dead people don't come back to life. That's not normal. It had happened just before that moment with Lazarus, but Jesus was the one who had called him back from the grave. Like Jesus was the one, he was the only one they'd ever seen who had the power to bring dead people back to life. And now he was dead. So that was dead. The movement, all of it, was over. And before Easter was a story, it was a life, it was an event that these people were playing out. And on the road, Jesus begins to talk to them, and he makes a shift. And then it says, as they go to sit down for dinner, because they beg this guy to sit and eat with them, it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. They're like, hold up. Wait a second. This is Jesus. And then he disappeared from their sight. It's like, Phew. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us when he talked with us on the road? And he opened the scriptures to us. It's like, didn't you feel that? There was something about him. <sighs> we're so dumb. How did we miss that? And so, this is interesting. It says they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Luke, who's writing this in the language of his day, the language that he writes this letter in, um, it, it, it's not like they finished their meal. It's like they pushed away from the table and they ran out of the room. It's this like a complete urgency associated. Like he disappears and it's like immediately they're like, we've got, but notice they return at once to Jerusalem. Just a few hours later, these guys have been fleeing from Jerusalem because they were afraid. And now they're running to the very place that they tried to get away from that morning. This is extraordinary. And it says that they found the 11 and those with them. So they've come to a house, and here's a group of people, all of Jesus' followers, they're all gathered in a room. And John's account tells us that they had the doors locked for the fear of the Jews. So some got out of town, and the rest of them are all huddled up into a house, terrified. 
because they missed their window of escape. And they don't want to go outside because there's fear that they might be recognized because people knew who was following Jesus too. And it's as they talk, as they walk in the room, they notice that there's already beginning to be a stirring. It says, it is true, the Lord is risen as he appeared to Simon. Like there's already a discussion about what's playing out. And, it, and it's that Jesus is alive. And then the two said, no, no, that's exactly what we experienced. We were on the way out of town and we saw Jesus too. Like this is incredible. But notice they're still in the room and the doors are locked. So in the midst of all this excitement, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of concern. This is actually something that we don't have time to discuss this morning, but I just was really struck when I read, has appeared to Simon. The last time Simon saw Jesus, he was denying him three times. And the first disciple that Jesus appears to is Simon. I mean... As parents, for those who have small kids, there's just an element of my heart that when I read that, I was like, he's so good. He goes to the one who's most devastated about the loss, and he re- he's like, Simon. I mean, it's just this beautiful moment that he intentionally targets Simon. But anyway, then the two told what happened, right? And then, boom, while they're still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And it says they were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Why? Because dead people stay dead. Their first logical conclusion is it's a ghost. Because there is no precedent for someone predicting their death, being killed, stuck in a grave, and then three days later coming back from it. Was not a religious story there was no ancient traditions that told about someone who had done this this was completely utterly crazy new and it wasn't what your brian your your mind jumped to it is now because of what he did that day but this is their thought is he's a ghost and he said to them why are you troubled why do doubts rise in your minds look at my hand and my feet it is i myself touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Like Jesus having given them like a, an anatomy lesson. It's like ghosts don't have flesh and like guys, this is me. And they're terrified. And I'm just saying that like if you were created, right? If you were going to write this story, you're going to make up a religion and you were part of the character storyline of this thing, you would not Paint yourself to be a person who was surprised by the resurrection. Because you were one of his you were one of the good followers. You were the ones who believed even when else no one else believed. And part of the testimony to the truthfulness of this story is in the fact of how this story is honest with the reality of what happened. That nobody expected to find nobody that morning. That was not normal. They were all surprised by it. They all struggled to believe it. And if I was creating a religion and I was going to be a part of the figure, like a side cast member, I would not paint myself as a doubter. I would not paint myself as someone who did not believe. And yet, that's the reality of the story. I mean, 
You probably didn't notice this, but if you actually kind of tracked along with some of the phrasing that Luke writes, and if you were reading the whole passage, you would notice that this is now around 6 p.m. Sunday night. It's 6 p.m. when the disciples finally see Jesus. Friday has continued all the way to Sunday night for them. They're terrified. There, there, there was none of this. Let's get up and dress really good and celebrate and sing and declare because Easter's happened. He's risen. It was like, let's all hole up in a room terrified with the doors locked because we don't want anyone to know where we are. And around 6 p.m. Sunday night, the first reality of Easter starts to hit that group of people for the first time. And I love the honesty of the Bible. That that is what the first Easter looked like. A lot of doubt a lot of fear, a lot of confusion, because nobody expected to find nobody in the tomb. And yet, here we are almost 2,000 years later, tens of thousands of miles away, and we've sang about a glorious day, and we've sang and declared that we're going to sing even louder because of Easter. And it says that on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fears, and I want you to see what Jesus says. He says, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. This is John kind of summarizing. John writes his letter um, decades after the first three. John's one is the last living follower of Jesus. Um, all the other 11, 11 disciples at that point um, had passed away. So John's the only one left who had ever met Jesus. And so if you were ever to look at John's account, John does something that's really interesting. John reads the first three and says there's so many things that need to be said that have not been said. And so John writes his letter to say things that were not said in the first three biographical accounts. That's why John reads a little different. It's kind of like, hey, I know you've seen this, but it's like a really good 30 for 30. It's like, no, there's so much more to the story. You've got to get the details. And this is what John does. And John's like, no, no. He says, peace be with you, just like Luke's account. But I, I, Luke is kind of fixated because Luke's a medical physician. So Luke's like hands and feet and scars and all that stuff because he's a doctor, right? And he, that's what he, a doctor is going to talk about. And John's like, no, no, no. You didn't capture what happened in the immediate moment. Like I was in the room. Luke, you weren't in the room. I was in the room. And what happened when he said, peace be with you, and we saw his hands and his feet is that we were overjoyed. John's roughly around 13, 14, 15 when he, this moment happens. And this moment seared into his mind. Because when Jesus steps in the room, he, he leads with peace be with you. And joy follows. Peace and joy in a moment replace the chaos and the confusion of that first Easter day. All the uncertainty, all the things that were, didn't make sense, that just didn't click and work right, all of that replaced with peace and joy when he stepped into the room. And that we haven't fully experienced Easter as Christ followers if we haven't tasted and tasted the joy and the peace that comes with Easter. And we say, well, how do you do that? Well, I think in some ways that What's been the background of this logo all along has been kind of pointing to it. The way I opened the very beginning of this message 
I think is kind of helpful, right? That when Jesus shows up, he doesn't change their circumstances, but he changes how they see their circumstances. He's alive. And because he's alive, that means that he's conquered death. Because he's alive, shame and guilt have no more power over them. Because he's alive, that means for the first time, dead things can be brought back to life. That there's hope. That there's a future. In some ways, this picture is a great illustration of that. When, you, when I first saw this picture, it wasn't like the sun and the earth changed. They were still the exact same. What changed was my understanding of them. And my perspective of how really large this thing actually is in light of that. And that moment, peace and joy filled the room because they had inverted this. Their shame, their guilt, their fear, their chaos, their confusion felt like the big thing that gave light to every other thing in their life. And then Jesus steps in the room and when he walks in, it flips the script. And all of a sudden, their shame and their guilt, their confusion, their chaos, their fear is that thing. Because of the risen son. I mean, C.S. Lewis said it this way. I believe in Christianity as I believe that the son is risen. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Easter is peace and joy and hope for the Christian. Because by it and through it, it changes how we see everything else. It means we can look at relationships that have fallen apart and dead that have been separated and we can still believe because of the God who brings dead things back to life that there can be life again there. It means we can hope and trust and move towards people who are completely angry and bitter towards us and be people who extend grace. Why? Because we see things differently because of Easter. Forgiveness is possible. If God can forgive me, then it's possible that I can forgive them too. That just like the sun, not only do I see the risen sun, but because of the risen sun, I see everything else differently too. That what the disciples realized that day was that hope is alive. They had hoped. And now they had hope again. And what they discovered even more specifically, that hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And that I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're walking through. I could sit down with coffee and you can share it. But I can tell you that at some point, I can bring you back to this reality that hope is alive. Hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. And that he is still in the midst of transforming and shaping and reorienting and making life fresh and new from the inside out. He didn't change the circumstances. Every one of those disciples would eventually lose their life to religious leaders or power authority structures that killed them because of their faith. But they all died with peace and joy. The Roman Empire that, that orchestrated that injustice that killed Jesus, that, that empire doesn't exist anymore. But his empire does. We know something extraordinary happened that day because a group of people who were terrified, hidden in a room, two men who were fleeing the city at early light, all ran back and stepped out 
and begin to travel the world proclaiming and teaching and preaching that Jesus was, in fact, alive. Something amazing happened. And it's, I believe, that on Easter morning, a carpenter turned rabbi who had been crucified and killed and stuck in a tomb. After three days, said Joseph of Arimathea, thank you, I don't need it anymore. You can have it back. And he walked out of the grave, and with that, he brought with him all the hope and the peace and the purpose and the life and the grace and the forgiveness that we could ever, ever look for or long for in our deepest being. And that's what this Easter is about, and that's what every single day is about for those who've seen the risen sun and because of it see everything else differently too. And I would encourage you, if you're maybe like many of the characters in this first moment of the Easter story, you're not really sure where you stand with this Jesus thing or Maybe you're like the guys who are in the room or Joseph Arimathea who kind of sort of believe but were a little afraid. I don't know where you are, but I know when I look at the story, I see me and so many of the different characters and the way they first responded to Jesus. And I would say to you that faith is the most important thing to wrestle with. Not just because we live in a world where you can watch a news broadcast and for the first time in our lifetime hear the word nuclear used in a legitimate sentence. It's not because we're in the midst of trying to figure out a pandemic and a plague or war. It's because at the end of the day, we all have a moment where we will cease to exist. And faith answers the ultimate, deepest questions that we all have about life. And I would encourage you, counterchurch.com forward slash faith, we want to engage you in that conversation. We want to help you with that conversation. Not be pushy, not be manipulative, not say you've got to believe this, but to say, hey, have you ever leaned into this and asked the questions? Give you resources, have a cup of coffee, answer your questions. You know, where's dinosaurs? Did Adam and Eve have belly buttons? You know, all the profound things that you really wrestle with when you think about life, right? And we want to help you with those. There are answers to legitimate questions, and legitimate questions deserve answers. And so I would encourage you to check us out on counterchurch.com forward slash faith. And on May 1st, we're actually going to have another baptism service, and there are already people signed up. And for some of us, maybe like that Joseph of Arimathea or that Nicodemus um, and what happened with them, that they had privately followed, that they hadn't made it public. No one knew until that day. And for some of you, maybe you've been following Jesus, you've been leaning in, maybe you've been watching online, and you've never actually taken that step to say, I want to be a part of a community. I want to publicly let people know. And I think May 1st could be an incredible day for that. And so if you want to be baptized, you're in that place, or you've got questions about baptism, encounterchurch.com forward slash baptism. Because Easter changed everything. And that because of Easter, because of the events that day, like the risen sun, that was seen, that's alive, not, not just because he's risen, but because in rising, it changed how we saw everything else. That's why you and I can have hope, joy, and peace today, regardless of where we find ourselves today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for grace and mercy. Thank you for the hope 
that comes in you. I pray that you in our moments today would meet us, that you would give us a taste of that peace and joy that we see the disciples celebrating that day, that you would move fresh in our lives and in our hearts, that you would give us glimpses of what hope and resurrection power could look like in our relationships, in our romantic life, in our finances, in our jobs, in our parenting, in our grief, in our struggle with sickness, in our loneliness. God, that you would show us today how what you have done changes how we go through it. So thank you for the power, Jesus. Thank you for the power that you demonstrated that day that gives us fresh hope today. And thank you that ultimately there is no grave, there is no thing that can hold us down because of you. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray.